an amazing time of worship. Uh, one of my favorite things about times like that is that it, um, we, the Holy Spirit really sticks it in the, in the face of um, the whole idea that the worship set is the walk-up music for the preacher thing and then uh you know what i'm talking about it happens in churches all over our country but we actually really met with king jesus there lives were changed we glorified him and we felt his presence in the room and everybody was better for it amen, amen. that's um that's pretty incredible that he is blessing us with his presence in that way hey so last week last week we talked about a kingly stature we were going back over again some of the characteristics of Ahab and Jezebel. We talked about how in Revelation 2, uh, Jesus is speaking over the church in Thyatira, and he says, I see that your works are better than they were before. They have increased. But this thing I have against you, that you have tolerated that woman Jezebel. Then we get to discuss last Sunday, what does it look like? to be the church, to be the people of the church that are doing good works in the name of Jesus but still tolerating that wicked woman, Jezebel. Well, we looked at how if Jezebel is anywhere, she is definitely doing what she does. The spirit of Jezebel, that character and the nature of Jezebel is always going to be found around or in churches around or within God's people because that's the only thing that that nature does it's purposeless if it's not around that what it comes down to is how we handle these things as men and women of God within the congregation amen so we talked about what a kingly stature looks like and how as men of God especially we cannot be like that of Ahab and walk in passivity and then promote a Jezebel-like nature in our homes, in our families, and, nor in our churches. We can't tolerate it because then you start to see young men cut down. What we tolerated in Jezebel is now a genocidal episode going on with Athaliah. It looked like just emasculating young men with Jezebel, removing their manhood and putting them under your service, but then it's squashing and killing babies with Athaliah, never allowing young men to ever rise up again. But then, who was it? Do y'all remember who it was that God sent to turn this thing around? King who? King Jehu. King Jehu was anointed to go and to do a work of destroying the house of Ahab. Jezebel seems to be like the, the name, especially in our charismatic churches, Je the spirit of Jezebel, Jezebel spirit, Jezebel spirit. Whenever, where, is Jezebel, where does Jezebel abide at? But in the house of Ahab. So God sent a prophet to go and anoint Jehu, not just to kill a Jezebel, not just to kill a Jezebel spirit, but to remove the character and the nature of Ahab from among God's people and even his descendants so, as to, so that it would not repopulate again and take the throne. Isn't that amazing? Well, in Jeremiah chapter 35 i ended the message last week with this and i want to recap this for you jeremiah chapter 35 verses 18 through 19 and then i'm going to tell you what today's message is titled it says then jeremiah said to the house of the rechabites thus says the lord of hosts the god of israel because you have obeyed the command of who jonadab your father kept all of his commands and done according to all that he commanded you. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, 
shall not lack a man to stand before me always. That is an incredible statement in a generation of men that were getting cut off everywhere, even the sons of the line of David. The prophet Jeremiah, God is speaking through him and referencing back to a man named Jehonadab or Jonadab. You might see it spelled differently in different translations. It's the same guy. Jehonadab or Jonadab. Jehonadab is who we're focusing on today. Today's message is titled, Joining Jehonadab. Did we get got a title slide for that? Oh, that ain't it. Hallelujah. Today's message is titled, Joining Jehonadab. Ignore that slide. Thank you. Hallelujah. Technological errors. Here are some of the things that we want to make sure and discuss together today. Number one, I want to show you the historical importance of Jehonadab, the Rechabites who we just heard about in Jeremiah 35. Remember that those names came up together. And then the Kenites. Now, this is going to be a new one for probably everyone in this room. Probably everyone in this room. I also want to show you that Jehonadab is the son who provoked the rest of his family after him to follow in his footsteps as people without tents and alcohol of all things. They couldn't drink alcohol and they could not build houses of stone. We're going to cover that here soon. Number two, I want, I want to exhort you, church, today that we must be zealous like Jehonadab. And I want to show you all sorts of beautiful things that God has hidden away in the story of Jehonadab and his family that came before him and the family that came after him and what it looks like for you and for me and for all of our families and generations to serve the Lord just like him. Are you excited to see what this looks like? Now, let's go ahead and turn to 2 Kings 10, verse 15. 2 Kings 10, verse 15. Y'all say Jonadab when you get there. Come on. 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 15. Say Jonadab when you're there. There we go. Verse 15 says, when he had departed from there, that is King Jehu, he met Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. And he greeted him and said to him, is your heart right as my heart is with your heart? And Jehonadab answered, it is. Jehu said, if it is, give me your hand. And, and he gave And he gave him his hand, and he took him up into his chariot. He said, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So he made him ride in his chariot. When he came to Samaria, he killed all who remained to Ahab in Samaria until he had destroyed him according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. Have you ever had a man or woman of God, reach their hand out to you and say, come with me and see the zeal that I have for my God. I'm telling you, it is the greatest invitation within the body of Christ to have another man or woman of God reach out to you and say, you've never seen anything like this before, I promise you. You're just going to have to get in the chariot and come see. And then you get to go and conquer the enemies together. But there are some very, very interesting characteristics that make this moment right here more incredible than you even know. I want to show you just how important Jehonadab, the Rechabites, and then another family called the Kenites are. There are a couple, I'm just going to read these off to you. You don't have to turn to all of these with me. But I want to show you who the Kenites are. So the Kenites, say Kenites. Say Rechabites. Say Jonadab. So Jehonadab is of the Rechabite family. It says Jehonadab, the son of Rechab. Well, Rechab was.
was a descendant of a clan or a tribe called the Kenites. We're going to get into this today, and I want to show you just how many times they discreetly come up in our scriptures and the treasures that come with it. Genesis chapter 15, verse 18, all the way at the beginning. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. The Kenite and the Kenizzite and the Cabmanite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Rephaim and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Girgashite and the Jebusite. These guys were listed with the original ancient peoples that were there the whole time. We have a man who is a descendant of a, an ancient original inhabitant of Canaan standing there going to redeem the people of Israel within the land of Canaan with King Jehu. It gets better. Just wait, there's more. Like a ShamWow commercial there for a second. Numbers, Numbers chapter 24 verse 21 says, And he looked at the Kenite and took up his discourse and said, Your dwelling place is enduring and your nest is set in the cliff. Nevertheless, Cain will be consumed. How long will Asher keep you captive? This is being prophesied from Balaam. And in this case, there was a man, there's a man and there's a donkey. There's all sorts of crazy stuff going on here. I'm, I won't get into those details today. But there is prophesying going on from entities that are not particularly sacred to Yahweh. They are just spiritual beings that recognize spiritually what is going on in that territory historically. And what's spoken over the Kenites, go back to verse 21 for me. What's spoken over the Kenites is, is that your dwelling place is enduring and your nest is set in the cliff. There's something special about these Kenite people, but it does say, but your dwelling place will fall like everybody else's. This will be the land of Canaan that becomes the land of the people of Israel. But for some reason, we still see him there. Well, in Judges chapter 1, verse 16, it says, The descendants of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law. Oh, it gets better. Went up from the city of Palms with the sons of Judah to the wilderness of Judah, which is, the, which is in the south of Arad. And they went and lived with the people. Pastor Mike almost read my verse a second ago, and I was going to get real upset. Because he's going to read it and not even probably say anything about this. But this is incredible. The people of Judah, the people of Judah are settling down in the land that God's giving them. And these guys are going in like best buds and just settling down in the town with them. Everybody else is getting annihilated. These guys, are there's not, there's not much else said about them. But these Kenites, which are of the people of Moses' father-in-law, are now abiding with the sons of Judah in the promised land, in Shalom, and fighting side by side with them to take the land for the people of Israel. What is going on? What does this mean? This is a Gentile people. The Kenites are not any way, shape, or form descendants of the line of Abraham. They were an ancient people group that were abiding in the land Canaan, really just southeast of Canaan, for centuries, for over a millennium. These people were abiding in this land, and now Moses has brought into his family line the Kenites. And what's incredible is on the way through Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, going into Joshua and Judges, these are the only people who ever stood by Israel's side along the way and did not harass, attack, plunder, or lure them by way of seduction away from God's plan. 
and they are abiding with the people of Israel and Canaan. Hmm? Yeah, through a covenant of marriage. Then Judah went with Simeon, his brother, and they struck the, Saint, the Canaanites living in Zephath and utterly destroyed it. So the name of the city was called Hormah, and Judah took Gaza, uh-oh, with its territory, and Ashkelon with its territory, and Ekron with its territory. Now the Lord was with Judah, and they took possession of the hill country, but they could not drive out the inhabitants because of the valley, uh, the inhabitants of the valley because they had iron chariots. But outside of the valley, there's a people, a Gentile people, who love the people of Israel that are standing next to them and inhabiting the land with them. I promise, for those of you that this seems a little confusing, we're going to bring this thing full circle. We're going to make it super clear for you today. Judges chapter 4, verse 14 is another really fun one here. Deborah said to Barak, Arise, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Deborah is assigned as a judge here in the nation of Israel in the book of Judges. Barak is leading with her and the Lord is speaking through Deborah to Barak to go and conquer an enemy king that has been harassing them. His name is Sisera. Say Sisera. Says, Behold, the Lord has gone out before you. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. The Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. You gotta love seeing the enemies of Israel leaving their chariots to flee on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Herosheth Hagoyim. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not even one was left but Sisera. Now Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael. Say Jael. This is a story some of you more... Uh, Feisty women here in the room might like to mention. It's like, oh yeah, I'll put a tent peg for righteousness, for righteousness' sake, right through his head. It says, now Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, for there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside. My master turned aside to me. Do not be afraid. And he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. He said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a bottle of milk and gave him a drink. Then she covered him. He said to her, Stand in the doorway of the tent, and it shall be, and it shall be if anyone comes and inquires of you and says, Is there anyone here? You shall say to them, No. But Jael... Heber's wife took a tent peg and seized a hammer in her hand and went secretly to him and drove the peg into his temple. And it went through into the ground, for he was sound asleep and exhausted. So he died. And behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. And he entered with her, and behold, Sisera was lying dead with the tent peg in his temple. So God subdued on that day Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the sons of Israel. The hand of the sons of Israel pressed heavier and heavier upon Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, the king of Canaan. The people of Israel were faithful to obey the word of the Lord. Deborah and Barak and 10,000 men are going after evil, wicked inhabitants in Canaan that, that, are, that are worshiping other gods and are wicked people. And they drive them out. But who gets to put the final peg in this guy's temple? A Kenite. 
a Kenite who was faithful to the works of Israel. And even though in this case her husband had departed from the rest of the nomadic camp of the Kenites, she said, I know exactly what's happening. This woman, alone at her tent, was in tune with Yahweh enough that of all people, he comes into just what looks like an innocent woman's tent and gets a cold glass of milk and a rug. Uh, it didn't sound that great, but I mean, he was on the run. Wesley's like, dude, that sounds really good. I'll take a rug and a cold glass of milk any day. <laughs> And it's a Kenite, <laughs> and it's a Kenite who actually gets to do this. Look at 1 Samuel 27, verses 7 through 12. The number of days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Now David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites and the Gerzites and the Amalekites, for they were the inhabitants of the land from ancient times, as you come to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. David attacked the land and did not leave a man or woman alive. And he took away the sheep, the cattle, the donkeys, the camels, and the clothing. Then he returned and came to Achish. Now, I need you to understand something about this. David is not yet sitting on a throne in Judah. He is being run off by Saul. He is abiding with the Philistines. The Philistines think that he is so hated by the rest of his kinsmen that they are willing to have King David himself live in their territory. Now, what you might not understand here is that King David is being allowed to go and raid people to restore his resources and his men but he's raiding the kinsmen of the Philistines. He's not raiding his own kinsmen who he has told the Philistines are against him now. That's interesting. Keep paying attention. Now Achish said, where have you made a raid today? And David said, against the Negev or the wilderness of Judah and against the wilderness and against the wilderness of the Jerem." Jeremielites and against the wilderness or the Negev of the Kenites. Now you have to understand what he's saying here. He just made it synonymous with attacking Judah to be attacking the Kenites. How is it that there have been a Gentile tribe of people standing faithfully with the people of Israel, abiding in the same land, and David himself is considering it synonymous to the Philistines to attack Judah or to attack the Kenites. And I, I didn't know a whole lot about this until recently. The Lord started unraveling these things for me. So it says in verse 11, David did not leave a man or woman alive to bring to Gath, where he was staying, saying, otherwise they will tell about us, saying, so has David done, and so has been his practice all the time he has lived in the country of the Philistines. So Achish believed David, saying he has surely made himself odious or hated among his people Israel. Therefore, he will become my servant forever. To be hated by Judah was synonymous with being hated by the Kenites. If the Kenites hated David, then to the king, to the leaders of the Philistines, they thought it was of the same weight. And lastly, in 1 Samuel 15, verse 6, it says, Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites so that I do not destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the sons of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the, the Amalekites. Why go through this whole educative moment right here to, just, to show you who the Kenites are? One is you've, I can prom, almost promise that almost no one in this room knows who the Kenites are. Two, 
is, is that they are a living example of what it means to be a Gentile people who are not mistaken about who they are, but are at the same time standing faithfully next to Israel in everything that they are doing. They show kindness to them when they're on a journey through the wilderness. They are defending them. They are fighting battles for them. They are even such good friends that they're fooling Philistines together with David. So why, why the Kenites? Why Jehonadab? Jehonadab is standing at a scene where King Jehu is having to clean up mess from inside the people of Israel. And a faithful Kenite, a faithful Rechabite named Jehonadab is standing there on the scene ready to partake in whatever it takes to see the people of Israel restored right there in their land. In Jeremiah 35, God prophesies over them. He says, you will never lack a man standing before my throne. There is almost nowhere else in your Bible you see anything like that. This is very, this is very similar to like that of what was said to the centurion. I have not found faith in Israel like this a military leader of the occupying nation over the land of Israel was just told he has faith better or greater than what Jesus had seen among any Jews. What's being said right here is, is your heart on the same page as my heart in 2 Kings 10? Jehonadab says, oh yeah, it is. Like, get in the chariot. Let's roll. But why is this important, church? We're, we've been talking about raising up young kings. We've been talking about long live the future kings. Seeing our young like husbands, soon-to-be husbands, young sons, and we're looking at them, and we're seeing that our life in Christ is so much more than us going to heaven individually, but looking at them and saying, I want to see everything that God has intended for this young man's life, for this young woman's life to be fulfilled in them. And I want to see this perpetually through my generations. There are very few people in your Bible that that's promised to. And Jehonadab's one of them. And he wasn't even a Jew. He, he's written in the accords of the of of levitical musicians his own family is written in the name among other levites who are musicians that sing to the lord among the tabernacle come on man i mean i need you to catch this like like we we, I want to see my generations stand faithfully before my God's throne all the days of my life. But what does it take? <clears throat> I want to clarify, clarify for you right now that the Kenites and the Rechabites, like them, we are Gentiles who can be found faithful to Yahweh, to the God of Israel and his people. And we will even jump in a chariot and like a warrior and go to battle with their redeeming king if it means getting their country set straight, seeing their kinsmen set reestablished. Romans 9, chapter 22 says, What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, whom, we, whom he also called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. As he says also in Hosea, I will call those who were not my people, my people, and her who was not beloved, beloved. And it shall be that in that place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there shall be called sons of the living God. 
Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Verse 27. Though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. For the Lord will execute his word on the earth thoroughly and quickly. And just as Isaiah foretold, quote, unless the Lord of Sabaoth had left to us a posterity or an inheritance, we would have become like Sodom and we would have resembled Gomorrah. They're talking about generations to continue. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel pursuing a law of righteousness did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as though it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it was written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. I want you to interact with that first for a second before we move on to Romans 10. We, if you, Avery, if you... Bruce, if you, if anybody in this family wants to see our generations continue to stand faithfully before God, we have to understand that it is not only about a belief in your brain that Jesus is the Son of God. I've been in church my whole life. I've been around Christians my whole life. And I have seen more generations fall away from Jesus than I've seen stay with Jesus. Like, like 10 to 1. And it's because it was never just about thinking about whether or not God was real and Jesus really is the Messiah. The demons believe that. James, the Apostle James wrote about it, and he says it doesn't do anything for them. But being faithful to God's original covenants, God's original promises, like Jehonadab, who had no business technically having to fight that battle. Jehonadab is a what we would perceive as a stranger walking up on a battle site and saying, I feel responsible for this because my God, these are his people, and he has set me in this land to abide with his people. Our brothers down in LCM have preached several beautiful messages of late, and I've got to listen to snippets of a few of them. But brother, Pastor Judah and Pastor Nick Aragina preached a message about how Every time there was an opportunity for a brother or for a descendant who did not follow the line of the promise from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. So we're talking Ishmael. We're talking about all the descendants. Every time they had an opportunity to go with the line that was carrying the promise, they didn't do it. But they had the opportunity to. But we have the Kenites who, funny enough, are arguably the purest descendants of Cain, the one who actually killed Abel. That's where most scholars believe they got their name from is that they were the most direct descendant of Cain himself, that they were a marked people for murder. But what about the Levites who also didn't have homes to live in? <laughs> Why did they not get to have land to own? Why did they not partake in many of the freedoms that the rest of Israel got to? Because of murder. So we now have Levites, the promised priests of God's people, and you have Kenites or Jehonadab himself standing under the same convictions, except in this case, God didn't command it to Jehonadab. Jehonadab commanded it to his own sons. And by the time Jeremiah 35 is being written, it is hundreds of years later, and they are still being faithful to what Jehonadab said, and Yahweh didn't even say it. You have to understand the implications of this. There is a nation of people that God is desperate to restore, and he gave them instructions, and they're not doing it. But they're the descendants of this man that we're reading about. And like you, like me, we can command our sons in a way of the Lord that we don't even have to have Moses say to us. We can say, Chuck can say to CJ, CJ, 
This is how we're going to live, son. And this is how your sons are going to live. And this is how your son's sons are going to live. And God will honor that and say, Israel, why can't you be like this? This is our opportunity, church, according to everything we see in Romans, to bring God's beloved people, Israel, by way of jealousy, back to their beloved God. (laughs) Raising generations of kings requires that we have a faithfulness to the way of life like the Rechabites, who will never lack a man serving in God's presence. Don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about living in tents in a nomadic lifestyle the rest of your life or not drinking alcohol. What I'm referring to, because I've found many, many sermons on we just need to just live in tents and not drink alcohol and maybe we'll be blessed like the Rechabites and men are really missing the point. But of people that are faithful and determined like Wesley is going to do to his sons, he's going to say, this is how we're going to live and we will not be found not standing shoulder to shoulder with God's people even if they're in a train wreck. Even if Israel looks like a train wreck. We're going to stand there with them and we're going to help redeem this thing. And in our God's eyes, we're going to not lack a man before his throne for all the generations of our family. This is incredible. Come on. Why? Because God sees a people who were faithful to the way of life their forefathers had laid down. I'm not talking about Israel. I'm talking about Jehonadab. And will pick those who honor that over those who seek to constantly fracture off. And this is why the, most of our um, global church today can't get a grip on real authority over demonic entities. Real authority that reestablishes God's house in different places around the earth. Because they're not looking to have a unified family that hands down a way of life. Everybody's looking to serve God in whatever way they think is right in their own eyes. So while Israel was going through the stage of judges, there were a people called the Kenites who determined that we're going to live generationally in a way that honors our God. When your family is a Gentile family, a non-Jewish family, that boldly stands for Israel and does not seek to take their place in God's plan and regularly appears back in the story for their benefit and leads an orderly generational family that honors God, God becomes excited about something like that. Just leading your sons and daughters in a way of life that honors God and that prioritizes God's people, Israel. We're not talking about modern day political Zionists. We're not talking about the economics. It's all wrapped up. I'm not talking about who you should vote for or that you should put the little stamp on your Facebook page that says, I support Israel. You can if you want to. I don't really care. I care about how you're living. God cares about how you're living. He doesn't care about your sticker on Facebook, whether you stand for Israel. The way that you do that, church, is is that you build your family in such a way that honors God that the people of Israel see their God's blessing on your family and they're saying, what is happening here while you were rolling up in a chariot to take their land back for them? This is what it's supposed to look like. Christopher, do you want to see all the generations of your future family standing before the throne of God perpetually? I know your dad does. So I'm just making sure you want the same thing. We're coming to a close here. Jeremiah chapter 35. Y'all turn there with me. We will end in Jeremiah 35 today. Say joining Jehonadab when you get there. Jeremiah 35, verse 1, says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, saying, Go to the house of the Rechabites and speak to them, and bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. Then I took 
Jazaniah, the son of Jeremiah, son of Habit. I don't actually know how to say that one. Habazaniah, thank you. That's a, that's a crazy one. And his brothers and all his sons and the whole house of the Rechabites. And I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the sons of Igdaliah, holy cow, the man of God, which was near the chamber of the officials, which was above the chamber of Messiah, the son of Shalom, Messiah, Shalom, if you're not catching that, that's what that says, the doorkeeper. Then I set before the men of the house of the Rechabites pitchers full of wine and cups, and I said to them, drink wine. But they said, we will not drink wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father commanded us, saying, you shall not drink wine, you or your sons, forever. You shall not build a house, and you shall not sow seed, and you shall not plant a vineyard or own one. But in tents you shall dwell all your days, that you may live many days in the land where you sojourn. We have obeyed the voice of Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, and all that he commanded us, not to drink wine all our days, we, our wives, our sons, or our daughters, nor to build ourselves houses to dwell in, and we do not have vineyard or field or seed. We have only dwelt in tents." and have obeyed and have done according to all that Jehonadab our father commanded us. But when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, this is beautiful, came up against the land, we said, come and let us go to Jerusalem before the army of the Chaldeans and before the army of the Arameans. So we have dwelt in Jerusalem. <laughs> They're holding it for them. Thus, then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will you not receive instruction by listening to my words, declares the Lord? The words of Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, which he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are observed. So they do not drink wine to this day. This is hundreds of years since Jehonadab. For they have obeyed their father's command, but I have spoken to you again and again, yet you have not listened to me. Also, I have sent to you all my servants and the prophets, sending them again and again, saying, turn now every man from his evil way and amend your deeds and do not go after other gods and worship them. Then you will dwell in the land which I have given to you and to your forefathers, but you have not inclined your ear or listened to me. Indeed, the sons of Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, have observed the command of their father, which he commanded them, but this people did not listen to me, says God. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing on Judah and on all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all, the, all of the disaster that I have pronounced against them, because I spoke to them, but they did not listen. And I have called them, but they did not answer. Then Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, Are you still with me? Then Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the command of who? Jehonadab, your father, and kept all of his commands and done according to all that he has commanded you. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not lack a man to, to stand before me always. This is the perpetuation of our generations as dads and as fathers, as husbands, as grandfathers, as ministers, as apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, as pillars, as elders, as overseers. This is how we see perpetually our son standing before him and not falling away. Do you see that it doesn't even have to be on a scroll from the heavens? Charlie can say to Grayson, son, this is how we're going to live. And Grayson will stand before God all the days of his life. 
and so will Grayson's sons because Charlie shows him how to do it. What then must we do? That's the slide that I think somebody made for me. What then must we do? <laughs> Title slide, ready to go. Never mind. It deleted. What should we do? Wait, there's more. Number one, church, we have to walk with an unapologetic stature of agreement. Remember a kingly stature from last week? We have to walk with a kingly, unapologetic stature of agreement and support with God's original covenants, land, and people, both in theology and in daily practice. If you need help on this, and that's confusing to you, hey, we understand. We live in a nation that has seriously diluted this subject, and it is confusing for so many people. We can sit and have dinner and talk about this, what it means to do that today. It might not mean you picking up a rifle and showing up in the Gaza Strip tomorrow. It probably looks more like something else, but we can talk about that. <laughs> we'll send you all to Pastor Mike for that. Number two, we're only giving you two items today. Establish a devoted leadership in our families that produces sons who are obedient and who are proud to carry further the torch which God has given each one of us. This means to return back to the original tools. If you were not entirely obedient to that from the conference in October, and if those of you don't know what I'm talking about, again, we can talk about this later as well. Those tools that our pastors and, over, and elders were talking about at our conference in October, those are the tools for establishing our strong families. We're not talking about taking nations for Jesus yet. We're not talking about seeing many people come in droves to salvation and come to know him. We're just talking about growing a strong family that makes those things happen that makes Israel return in repentance back to Adonai, that recognizes that Yeshua is the real Messiah and always has been. We have to establish a devoted leadership in our families that produces sons who are obedient and proud to carry. I want, um, we're, we're at the very end. This is the last thing I'm telling you today, and I really want you to understand this. Obedient and proud to do it. Obedient and proud to do it. You can make a son or daughter obedient and crush them completely while you're making them obedient. We're not talking about just whooping everybody into shape. We're talking about sowing the seeds of Je uh, Jehonadab that somehow, we know how, but to most of the world somehow has a generation of men who are standing before prophets of God who God is saying hey go and trick these men and tell them to drink wine and they looked at a prophet of God and said no I know better than that I know that this is testing me and that's it we have to be able to have sons who are proud of carrying our way of life sons who are proud to carry the torch that each one of us have carried who's daughters who are proud to stand with their future families, who are proud to carry the torch of the families that they come from, families that are unified together around serving Adonai, the God of Israel, Jesus, and are devoted to seeing his original covenants um, upheld in the land today so that we can see God's entire global plan come together. Is this exciting to you guys? Yeah. Come on. Y'all stand up with me. <coughs> Jesus, I desire for my family. I desire for the families of the people here in this room today. To be like the Kenites, like the Rechabites, like the sons of Jehonadab, Lord. 
who were written about but seemingly go under the radar. God, I desire for my family and for this church that we make your, you, Jesus, the center of it all, the center of the picture. God, and that we get to lift up your people, Israel, and bring them as a beautiful as a beautiful gift to you, Lord, without blemish and without wrinkle and without spot. And bring them to you, Lord, as those who are testifying that you, Jesus, that you, Yeshua, are truly the Messiah that they've been looking for all along. Jesus, as I am serving you, as my brothers and sisters here in this room are serving you, God, we ask that you help us, Lord. Come on, we ask that you help us, Lord, to grow and to develop our families so that as we are serving you, we do not fall to the sins of the church in Thyatira that tolerates the woman Jezebel. For, Lord, we know that the sons of Ahab are cut off, but the sons of Jehonadab stand before you forever. So, God, we ask you that you help us, Lord. You help us to even be like a humble almost nameless servant like Jehonadab. For Lord, I look at King Jehu and all of his might, and he only had four generations on a throne. And I look at Ahab, and he was cut off completely. But Lord, if I could just be like Jehonadab, if my brothers and sisters in this room could just be like Jehonadab and show up for the fight for somebody else's benefit, just like you did, Jesus, just like, just like Paul did, just like so many of the apostles, just like how Paul said that it is to us today persecution to stand before the people of Israel, but it is because they are the beloved sons and daughters of God, that it is a blessing to us to present the gospel to them. God, I ask that you help this church and all of the churches in our one association of churches and every Christian we come about, Lord, to come into a mature understanding that we might be able to teach good disciplines to our sons and daughters, but it will never be complete if our heart is not on the same page as your heart, Abba, and that is to see all of your sons and daughters in Israel and all who have been scattered throughout the earth hear of your name. So God, we ask that you begin to start giving revelation and dreams and breakthrough, Lord, for even the young ones in here, God that every nation that Remnant Church is sent out to, every continent that we touch ground on, Lord, for your name, Jesus. We see people turned to you, Jesus, and catch the same revelation that the whole reason we've been grafted into your family, Abba, is so that we can come back with your firstborn sons and say, we got them, Lord. We're here all together. Let's rule and reign together for the rest of eternity. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you that by your mercy, you included somebody like me, that you included any one of us. It is a blessing and an honor to us, God, to lead families who honor you and families who love and honor your people and your land, Israel. God, we love you, and we ask you to help and empower us to do these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.